Breaking Down Bits, a conversation about great comedy bits with the comedians who wrote and performed them. Welcome to Breaking Down Bits Season 6. I'm Brian Gendron. What's up? I'm Drew Jordan, and we back. We We're back. back. It's been a crazy couple of weeks, as it seems like it always... It's never not a crazy couple of weeks. Uh, it's always a crazy time uh, with everything going on with both of our lives, and then as busy as the world is back open with comedy happening. Um, it's a good time, though. And so, uh, yeah, don't forget... Uh, you can catch up on all things breaking down bits. If you if you just found us, there is seasons one through five available wherever you watch podcasts or listen to podcasts, even on YouTube. You can find it all at breakingdownbits.com, uh, a beautiful website. Um, better than better than most podcast websites. I would not because I made it. I think Brian made all that and it's beautiful and easy. So check that out. Get caught up. A lot of great uh, information for comedians, writers, all that stuff. Um, and today, kind of a different a different angle for you, something a little different than we typically do on Breaking Down Bits. Sure, but let's not forget to call back to our last episode, episode 50 with uh, Hamid Weinberg. A lot of fun. What was your callback to that episode? Yeah. Okay. So I, one thing that he mentioned, I don't, not, not saying this is like going to be breaking news for anyone, but the general thought is right about things that you are deeply interested in, things that you honestly deeply find funny, scary, interesting, all that kind of stuff. Um, we kind of talked briefly in the episode about, you know, hey, good job, you can write a joke. I was I was driving down the road, I was on a kind of a road trip the other day, and as I was driving, I just left all, I turned off everything, and I made it a point just to try to like be ob observant and write jokes about whatever I saw, let it spark things into my mind. And it was a fun exercise, but at the end of the day, I didn't really get any jokes out of it that I think I was really compelled to use on stage because it wasn't anything that was necessarily really near and dear or interesting to me. It was just kind of observational kind of light, whatever. And so I think it's just a good practice to always like, kind of do a deep dive investigation on yourself. What, what do you really find interesting? What are you really scared by? What do you, what do you really find funny? And then just dig into that when it comes to your writing, that way you're creating content that's unique. It's personal to you. No one can steal it. Um, and it kind of builds a brand for yourself a little bit. Wow. So nothing was accomplished. Good, good. Yeah. Uh, I, I wrote a lot of dumb jokes that are living in my phone and no one will ever see them. Well, it's a bore. I mean, what are you going to, it's all a bunch of like ranches and cat that ride is, <laughs> is not interesting. Uh, so, but, but it's good though, to be looking for inspiration. And that's kind of the same thing that I gleaned from the episode. It's been a, a minute since I listened to it. In fact, I think I just listened to it as we recorded it. But if I remember back, just kind of give yourself the space to explore different projects and different things really felt like that was a good message from from Muhammad and just kind of what he's been doing with his career. So, you know, we do this stand up thing, but what else can you be doing? Where else can you be applying these skills, this writing and, and performing talent that you have? You know, he's done some some short film and a couple other things that I thought was really interesting. So give yourself the space and, uh, get, you know, who knows what you can output um, and, and put into the world, make the world laugh. 
So go back and listen to that episode, all the episodes, like Drew said, at Breaking Down Bits. Also, you know, reach out to us because, by the way, this episode comes as a request from from a couple of different people, a couple of different uh, listeners and, and peeps we've had uh, along the way. And so if you have anything you want to share with us, get to us on social media at Breaking Down Bits or hit us up on Gmail, BreakingDownBits at gmail.com. And maybe we'll we'll do what you ask. Probably not, but maybe. You know, <laughs> I was trying to find the exact people that, that kind of mentioned it, but I'm having trouble going through. I know Ryan from California. Uh, yeah. He's joined our mic a couple of times. Great guy. This is one that he specifically asked for. And there's a few others, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of messages that came through. So on this episode, uh, diving into, uh, yeah, a little less just the comedy thing, but taking one step back and, and looking at shows and pr- producing shows. And we have a wonderful guest who is definitely the right guy to have in for this conversation. Let's bring him in. Kyle Kazanjian is the founder and CEO of Don't Tell Comedy, a distributed network of stand-up comedy shows in over 40 cities, disrupting the traditional comedy club monopoly and sometimes even becoming the de facto comedy experience in cities without clubs. Don't Tell Comedy creates memorable experiences for audiences in unique venues at affordable price points and connects comedians with audiences, providing more stage time and career growth opportunities. Love it. Welcome, Kyle. How are you, man? I'm good. Great intro once again. <laughs> Thanks, man. Appreciate it's, that. It's perfect. We got words like disruption. I love it. <laughs> it's good. In this in this in this business, it seems like it hasn't really there hasn't been a lot that's changed in the last few decades. Of course, the pandemic started to change some things, but I feel like we retracted right, basically retracted right back to where we are. Um, and then also that we had uh, past guests, Den- Dennis Nickerson on there, which is great. Uh, Brian Destin. Simpson. I didn't recognize the female. Who was the female artist? That's a uh, Catherine Blanford, who's an uh, Atlanta based comic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And you mentioned uh, Hamid Weinberg. He's uh, it's funny you mentioned him. And I watched a little bit of that episode because he was somebody when I started out doing stand up in L.A. that I looked up to and was one of my favorite comics. And uh, he just was uh, on our, our stand up digital series that we're um, about to release. Yeah, you told me that. That's exciting. Yeah, Hamid's uh, great. Yeah, I have a million questions and a lot of things to to, to chat about. Just watching the videos, so interesting to see. Uh, even just the the effort you guys put into the stage, because you're taking over uh, one of your, I guess, one of the the tricks or interesting things you do with Don't Tell is you're not in a comedy club. You find weird, strange, unique locations, beautiful. The candy shop. What in the world? That's what a cool, uh, colorful place to shoot, you know, and do a do a comedy show. But that, that's got to be part of the strategy because you don't have to own a space. You don't have to have a, a deal with a, a club or a bar or anything like that. So um, good on you for making it visually appealing, because so many places where me and Brian have done comedy is just <laughs> like, oh, man, you get the video back and you're like, ah, what's behind me? Uh some sort of haunted house or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's something that we lucked into with uh, doing, we're doing a lot more video content and shooting kind of like short mini comedy specials. And uh, the fact that we do different locations is part of our whole thing, secret pop-up shows in different locations. It makes it um, so that it feels like there's almost some, some sort of movement like moving forward with the series. So each, you know, series is different location, completely different from the last. 
Um, but that's because that's what we do. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, it's kind of fortunate in that way versus shooting all shows in like the, the same environment. Well, there's yeah, so much you guys do right. And I, I think probably our, our best uh, way to kind of stay true to the format of the show is understand how you got there. Right. And so uh, if I understand it, you started as a comedian, but kind of walk us through your path uh, through comedy to, to where you got and maybe some of the breaks you got along the way with Don't Tell. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I started uh, working in accounting. Uh, when I graduated from college, that sounds boring. It man. sucks. Yeah, <laughs> I, I hated it. I found out pretty quickly, like six months in, I was not cut out for it. Uh, just felt very out of place. Always loved comedy. Group watching Seinfeld, The Simpsons, same. Um, a lot of like the Comedy Central, you know, uh, or Evening at the Improv, and a lot of Comedy Central uh, stand-up specials. And so I just started writing. Found open mics. I was living in Orange County. Just started going to open mics and. Uh, that was, you know, it's a whole new world. You have no idea what you're doing. So it's very like, you know, it's very challenging and, and like scary at first because you, you just have no concept of what this is. If I remember the first time on stage, I like blacked out for the first half of the set. Uh, yeah, just just really, uh, really cool, though. And, and I loved watching old stand up. Big fan of like the grades prior and Carlin and would read a lot about stand up. Um, and then moved to LA to just get more involved, started volunteering at shows. I, I volunteered every Sunday night, at this cool, uh, indie show in downtown called Uncabaret and met a lot of comedians that way. Um, just try to get involved however I could. I was just checking people in and, uh, seating people, setting up the drum set, uh, that type of thing for like a full year while I was producing other shows. So I'd, I'd like just walk around town looking for a cool spot. Cause it, it was in LA, you kind of do it wherever, uh, was, even before the pandemic, it was like, Oh, this restaurant has a rooftop. Let's do a show there. And, you know, people are just trying to get stage time as a comic and you're trying to, um, put on fun shows and it's, it's a really cool community to kind of get involved with and get, um, more into. So yeah, I was producing like three or four shows, uh, a week for a couple of years. And then a friend of mine told me about, uh, a company called So Far Sounds, which does uh, like basically what we do, but for for live music. And I loved what they had done. Uh, they started in in London, and they do like shows in over four hundred cities across the world. Wow. Incredible what they've built. Uh, they've been around for over like twelve years, but it looked similar to what I'd seen in L.A. with backyard comedy shows that friends of mine had put on. And I felt like, well, this definitely would apply for stand up. And I feel like with my background, I had some of the organizational skills to kind of put it all together and create uh, like a brain. Oh, I, I had no idea at the time, but like, I was like, yeah, I can, I can do this. And it's much better than, than accounting. Uh, I was still work, you know, working that job, but uh, that's, that was the journey to starting Don't Tell. Uh, no intention of starting a business, really just wanted to do it to get stage time, to get more involved with the comedy community, to meet other comics, uh, to put on just a great show. That was like my my main focus, just put on, put on a really good show and people will come. Uh, so that's that was the the outset. But I did have like a vision of expanding to other cities and you know, I kind of like so far had done uh, and never imagined that we'd be in more than like five cities when I started this and, and fast forward five years, uh, we're in like 45 to 50 cities now, uh, doing like this week, we have like 25 shows going on across the country, which is, which is pretty dang cool. And when you first started this, 
you were still performing at the time. This was still something you were doing concurrently with your own stand-up progression as a, as a performer. And uh, how did you feel about producing shows and performing at the same time? It's really hard to do. And I was super self-conscious about doing the same material uh, if you have guests that are coming back. So I would host a lot and do, you know, mostly crowd work and then like a couple jokes um, to get things going. So that, and that's, it's, it can be a lot of fun, but it's also not necessarily like doing stand up, like doing sets. It's just a much different, it's a good way to cut your teeth and stand up to get reps and get more comfortable on, on stage. Um, but yeah, I, I, uh, I loved it. And that was the intention. I did get a lot of stage time at a certain point. I really felt like, uh, you know, performing on every show wasn't a good call just cause we want to mix it up and give opportunities to other comedians. And then like the, the whole business side of things and just building this thing kind of started picking up to a point where I felt like I got to put all my energy into one. And I love the, the organizational side of things. I love creating opportunities for other people. I love putting on great shows. I love thinking creatively, like on the, I guess on the business side of things. Um, so I found that lane and have been loving it. Nice. So what, what happened next? So you started basically in LA, still performing, still doing your own thing. Um, you immediately started to grow uh, and kind of see where this was, was headed. Um, you found the other organization that kind of had done the same thing for music, which kind of sparked the idea. What, how, how did this thing go from being just an LA, just you kind of doing it to, to where it has grown today? What, what were the kind of the big steps along the way? Yeah. So for the first six months, it was just LA shows were free backyards, friends of mine, like their apartments, their backyards. The first uh, show we did in the local business, I was like so nervous to ask them to do a show that I went in like four consecutive weeks and bought like a hat bought like socks <laughs> and then like uh, you know a month in i was like like it mustered up the courage to be like hey what do you think about putting on a show and they could fit like 25 people it, so it was it was like really cool to make that shift but um it was it was tough and uh what i found was once we had a couple of examples of us doing shows in unique local businesses we could show that to other people and say hey here's what it looks like we're you know we had professional photographers make it look nice People will come in and but maybe buy things or you can offer discounts um, and whatnot. So that was L.A.'s first six months. I drove up to San Francisco where I had some family, stayed with them, put on a show in another friend's living room and then drove up to Portland, Oregon, Seattle, just connecting with people I knew in college or, or high school or other comics that I met. And the big thing that I think helped spark some, some growth into other cities was I met um, somebody at Airbnb through a mutual wow. friend and they uh, were eager to get into uh, experiences. They were launching their whole like uh, experiences platform. Uh, and that was kind of a stroke of, of luck because um, they helped us expand to Boston and New York and Denver we had some like six month agreement with them to do 40 shows across f five or eight cities. I uh, can't exactly remember. So that was great. Cause they helped, they helped pay for like equipment in new cities and nice. just, get us, just get us started. But like when I went to Boston, like I roped my brother into running our shows <laughs> in Boston and he still runs them. He loves it. But I like nice. forced him to run our shows uh, in Boston. <laughs> 
in the and then our New York chapter, like I met a comic in Boston, Luke Toma, who you know started running our shows in New York. So it was it was really all like meeting people and uh, also referrals from other comics. Well, that's how it works a lot of times now. And how we went from like five to forty cities is a comic in Boston would say, "Hey, there's this great person in Atlanta. You should you should hit up. They'd be perfect for this." Or in DC or in Austin, Texas. And as you know, the comedy community is so small. You meet people doing festivals. You meet people that are passing through town that, you know, you're one degree of separation away from every every city, a, a comic in every city, really. Yeah. And did, was it was this was the name and the the idea of don't tell something that you had from the very beginning? Or did that kind of come along as as the idea grew? Yeah, the name was uh, from the beginning, from the first show. It was I, what I really liked about don't tell. So before a name, I knew I wanted to do something that was similar to what so far had done, which is secret performers, secret locations. And a lot of the shows are BYOB because I would go to the comedy store and pay 10 bucks for a Bud Light. And it was like, well, what are we doing here? Like, <laughs> how does this make sense? So that, so it really shifted my mindset to like comedy was the business of selling drinks and still is. How can we make it into just selling an experience and there's no transactions at our shows. Usually we, we do some shows with bars now, never a two drink minimum, but most shows you just arrive, you bring drinks, you bring snacks, you hang out for an hour and a half and then you go somewhere afterwards. Uh, and you don't have to worry about tipping anybody that, that type of thing. Um, so yeah, don't tell what I liked about it was we could kind of make it local. So in LA we could do each show, by its neighborhood. So, you know, the general radius of where you're going to go, but you can call it, don't tell Venice or don't tell West Hollywood. Don't tell Burbank. And I thought that was kind of a cool thing that made it feel very local, which is what we, what we do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's a genius name. It, it like I've worked in radio, my, my career before all this was radio. So like, they always say like in you're writing any sort of copy, any sort of anything, you just want to catch someone's curiosity. You want to make them lean in and, and saying it's a secret and don't tell. It's just a wonderful way to make people go, wait, what's, Oh, I'm not supposed like psychologically, I'm not supposed to know about this. I can't tell yeah. people about it. I, then I really want to know. It's like, you know, yeah, we're very like kind of tongue in cheek with that stuff. And we, we call it like <laughs> one of our taglines from the beginning was comedy's worst kept secret. Right. Um, and very playful around like, don't tell your friends, but tell, obviously tell your friends. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like, uh, I like you making the distinction about traditional comedy business, you know, the two drink minimum, the no refunds, all that stuff that comes with the old comedy club world. Uh, and then you make the distinction of, you know, we're, this is experience and we do this. We're the same way. Uh, everything's yeah. experience driven. Uh, we're in entertainment. And <clears throat> if you're running a show, like if you think about those things first, you'll win. You really well. If you're thinking about the audience experience, how they show up to your show, how they're treated at your show, how they feel during your show, uh, and it sounds like you just you guys just have all those things down as a standard. How do you how do you make sure that you're holding that standard across 25 shows this weekend? How do you make sure that everybody's getting that that common experience? Yeah. Uh, so vetting people that we're working with that are producers. A lot of the people running our shows are comics, and they know how to run a show. They're also well connected in their local scene. So we make sure that who we're working with is somebody we feel like they can represent the brand well, they can put on a good show, they're responsible, um, they're not going to show up late or anything like that. 
Uh, and then just creating kind of a little bit of a playbook for this is how we run things. These are kind of like, this is what we've seen that works. And then also like being open to feedback. If people are like, Hey, like these lights we're using suck. Like we got to get new lights and that's, it's hurting the experience. It's like, Oh yeah, let's, let's do that. Um, so yeah, we, we, we create a, I, I hope that our team thinks this is true. And I, I really do think it is true is creating like a really collaborative environment and working with people that care deeply about exactly what you said, Brian, just creating a great experience that will make people want to come back. And I'm, I'm immersed in this stuff right now. This is sort of running a show 2.0 because you're the same. You, we started the same way because we run the riot in Houston and it's we're a comic. We want to get this currency and this currency is stage time. I, I, I put you on my show and then I can get on yours. And that's you. That's a way a lot of comedy shows start. But then if, if you're tracking, you're doing the experience, you're doing all the right things there. It starts to grow a little bit. And in the next step, one of the next steps in that is you know, how, what are we doing? Right. How are we doing it and documenting that so that it can be done repeatedly for you? It was across the country, which is exciting for us. It's, you know, at least locally and somewhat, we have some satellite shows as well, but yeah, creating that playbook as you call it. And that documentation is important, how we do things so that it's consistent each time. Yeah. Yeah. That was one thing that was really prevalent in the LA scene. You mentioned kind of like spot swapping and like, if you could do my show, then I'll get on your show. That, that was something that with my other shows that I was running in conjunction with Don't Tell, like I would do. But with Don't Tell, I was very sacred about never, even like friends of mine that really like wanted to do it, but weren't at the level where felt comfortable putting them on for 15 minutes, uh, had to turn like had to turn people down and was very sacred around like we, we need to put together different lineups every time. If you did the show this month, if we're only doing it once or twice a month then you have to wait a little bit to do, to do it again. Um, and it was, became much easier when I stopped doing standup because yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> I, I'm still in the standup. So then there's still some of that resentment built into it. But at the same time, no matter what it is, you have to keep the quality bar high. You yeah. have to, and you have to have some sort of system uh, to be, and uh, a way to tell people. And honestly, you can tell me from your experience, but direct is the best way. It, it just is. You don't avoid people. Just tell them directly as, as as nicely as you can. That seems to work effective for me. But how about how about in your experience? Yeah. The, what's nice now is I really don't do You're out of it. Aren't you? Yes. Yeah. Good for you. I know. It's so yeah. but people hit me up all the time and I'll just yeah. say, hey, you can email, uh, you know, L.A. at Don't Tell Comedy or info at Don't Tell Comedy or the city email, uh, which is which is really nice. Uh, yeah, because, yeah, I, I'm a people pleaser. So I want to be like help everyone out. Um, but it is, it is tough in, in that way. But I think you're right. Like if you're direct, people understand. And the person who's messaging you all time and time again is messaging 75 other people, <laughs> the same exact thing. And people like talk about that stuff too. Around like, yeah, this person always hits us up. Like, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it is what it is, but yeah, it's challenging, especially if you're, if you're running shows and you're like performing too, really, really tough. Your, your guys' lineups. I was, I was looking at the, even the, the people who have the podcast and then also the lineups, you guys put together such great shows and it's all the people that I would be like, that's the person I want to have on, on our show. That's the person I want to have on a taping. It's like all these people that are killers right. that are this next generation. And it's so cool that the amount of shows you, y'all are doing um, and providing people like headlining weekends. Thanks, man. Yeah, and it's the same, you know, same, we'd say the same for your lineups and, and I can, you know, a little bit of behind the scenes on that for us, uh, the first thing we did when we got our first kind of major headliner, and I'd say, I would argue 
we could argue this, but let's say Ian Lara was like our first kind of mm. guy. We flew in from New York and we made, we went way out of our way to take extra good care of Ian while he was here. Right. Just whatever he needs, you know, and I always, you know, take him out to lunch, pick him up from the airport, uh, you know, make sure he's comfortable in the room, make sure he has whatever he needs to get on stage. Just take care of that comic because like you said, it's a small community. He's going to go back to New York. He's passed at the seller and tell seller comics, Hey, there's a great room in Houston. Same thing with store comics or, or you know, anywhere in the U S really. Yeah. And so that was always a part of us when we started booking bigger names, you know, you got to outlay a little bit more cash cause they're, they, you know, that's, that's what it costs, but you can take, we took that risk. And, and if your room and your experience is at a certain level, I, I definitely encourage you to take those risks and remember you maybe even if you just break even or even lose money, you'll gain by just taking care of that comic. And then the next one you can grow. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to hear your perspective on. Uh, so uh, somebody mentioned to me a while back and I was like, damn, that is true. Is that in the comedy world for clubs and stuff, the, the idea of a tastemaker club has kind of disappeared and clubs rely on, uh, in large part on comedians not only having to perform and do well, but promote and sell tickets. So it's like comedians have now become promoters in a weird way. What I like about what you're doing, and there's other clubs that do this too really well, is uh, is just providing consistency in quality to where people will go because they know it's going to be a good show versus they, they don't even know who the person is. Maybe they watch the small <laughs> clip on the website. But right. that's that seems to be... The goal, hopefully, is to get back to that place because it's an awful lot of pressure to put on comics to, to sell all the tickets now as well as perform. And I think it's where we intersect. So with us, it's getting the environment right first. And if you have the environment right, uh, you know, even if the comics uh, comedy is a little off that night for whatever, you know, comics are humans. Even the best comedians in the world have things that go wrong in their life and maybe they don't show up that night or whatever it is. But if the environment's right gosh, you can get away with bad comedy and still have people be like, well, that was actually a pretty good night out because we're in experience. We're in entertainment. I mean, luckily we do book some of the best comedians in the world. So, you know, we've got kind of both going for us, but yeah, getting those environmentals right allows us to just sell tickets. And, uh, you know, we can get to like 60 to 80% of a, of a room sold any given weekend. Uh, and then any comic that comes in and does a little promoting can get us over the top to, to 90 to yeah, 100. Yeah. That seems to be sort of where we're at. And we never paper the room. We don't have to. Um, we do stuff that you guys do really well, uh, better than us because you have a way bigger email list than us. But, you know, the remarketing is is critical mm. when it comes to marketing. So get it ca- capturing the emails, making sure you get your emails out uh, and then segmenting it. You have to segment it by market. We're a little bit yeah. more localized. So that makes it a little easier for us. Um, but, uh, but even other things like remarketing on Facebook and meta, you know, Instagram, hitting the people that already come to shows, people think it's all about getting new people. No, no, no. You want to hit the people that have already come. Cause they're the ones that are most likely to one, come back and two tell friends. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I mean, it's when you, we were talking in LA, Brian, you're mentioning about like all the different ways, the channels that you're promoting and hitting people up, thanking people for coming, offering them tickets to another show or, um, it's, it's impressive the different avenues you're taking advantage of. And it inspired me to kind of look into ways where we can improve that beyond just like running ads on Facebook and Instagram, which can be a black hole. You inspired me today. Uh, the Airbnb thing is awesome. And we've been doing some of that stuff too. So we've been getting into the tourism, uh, space. I think I was telling you about that. So if you're in a local city, one area you can tap into is your local tourism bureau in Houston. It's called the Visitors and Convention Bureau. Um, mm-hmm. And so it cost me like 600 bucks a year to be a part of this. And it does require some of your sweat. So you have to go out and, you know, shake hands and meet people that run these events and hotels and, and all these things. 
but that allows us to potentially get access to the millions and millions of visitors in Houston that come through every year, um, which is which is more or less white space because nobody else is in our at least in our markets playing in that mar- in that space. Uh, yeah. But I'd, I'm going to look into the Airbnb experiences because we're doing some things like we're amusement.com. So if, if anybody books through booking.com to come to Houston, we're one of the events that pops up. Um, uh, same thing with the Visit Houston website. We're one of the experiences that pop up there. So uh, Open Table, we're, we're on the experiences for Open Table. Uh, we, at the end of the day, we sell our tickets in six different places, I think now, maybe it's seven and a lot of surface area where we sell tickets. And then we just, we aggregate those through, we use Eventbrite, but we have one system to make sure we don't oversell our shows, but that's some of our strategy there. Do you like, uh, using Eventbrite? (laughs) You know, a lot of people complain about it. Um, (laughs) but if I, if I I was on a different platform, I complain about the same shit, just it's a different thing. You know, I, I do. Um, we, we, we negotiated, we're on their highest platform or whatever. So we get, um, some, some extra benefits there. Uh, I think we have like a dollar surcharge per ticket or whatever that's called. Mm. But, um, so that's nice, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. It works fine. There's a couple of things I don't love about it, but overall it, it, it's our main system for ticketing. Yeah. 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 We, we were, we built, uh, we built our own system because of a few things that we wanted to kind of do to build off of, uh, like people would always ask, like, especially for secret shows where you don't know who was performing after the show, they'd always ask like, who, who's on the lineup. And, you know, instead of manually responding to everybody and we want to get the comics facilitate that relationship with the audience as much as possible to get comics, new followers. So we built like a system where after every show we send a post show email that has every comic headshot, their Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and then even a Venmo link where if you like the comic, you can tip and send like a tip to a comic. Um, but that's something like we, could, we couldn't do through one of these uh, kind of more stock ticketing sites. I mean, I could pull it off through Eventbrite. Um, and and you, you just created a bunch of more work for, my, for Zach, who's our assistant. Uh, <laughs> I love Zach. that. I love that. Because we started a show called Comics You Should Know, not Comedians You Should Know. That's in Chicago. And I've already talked to those guys about this. But we started <laughs> we started Comics You Should Know. And the whole ambition behind Comics You Should Know was that we would put six comics on and we would do what you just said. You know, on the table, it was, it was kind of archaic. We would, on a piece of paper, use their picture, their Instagram and all that stuff. And we yeah. weren't getting a lot of traction on that. But, you know, if we just find a system to do that every show, then we're doing the same thing. We're getting yeah. more more attention for our comics and the comics that come back to us. So that, that in turn helps us out. That's great. I've noticed comics getting really smart with these new avenues of like building their own lists and stuff like whether it's a QR code at shows on a business right. card or, you know, it's, it's cool to see comics, the, the whole comedy industry, it feels like it's being democratized in a sense where a lot of comics can now take their careers more into their own hands right. with social media and, even like running your own ads to sell out indie venues versus trying to wait, waiting to get booked at one of the more traditional clubs. That's I think super exciting for, for comedy and probably other art forms as well. Yeah. You guys got really nerdy with that. Let's I'd love to back up just to touch and get out of the, uh, you know, the space where you're already kind of, you're down the line a little bit. What if we backed up and just said, let's say there's a comic out there who's, you know, trying to just to, to kickstart their their career, get a little more stage time. What are like maybe the top five things that they should be thinking about when they produce a show? Like what, what are the top things they should have in mind to make sure if they're going to produce their first show, what do they need to be thinking about? Brian, you want to you want to start? Or you wanna- yeah, I'll, I'll throw a few out there. Uh, I mean, of course, you want to 
pick the right venue and the right venue partner. Um, it's, it's number one. And, and you guys have done a great job because you don't care where, I mean, you do care, but it doesn't have to be at a bar or, or a restaurant, which is nice. Um, and, and really it doesn't have to be anyway, you know, you can do these different experiences, but make sure you have a good venue partner, whatever, whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then think through what that, ex- again, just from the beginning, what is the experience going to be like? And so really just Im- imagine what it would be like for someone to all the way from how do they find you to how do they buy tickets to your show to how do they get there? How do they park or get dropped off or however they get there? What is it like when they walk in the door? What do they feel when they walk in the door? Uh, are they, they should be greeted properly and, and seated properly. Um, so what does that look like? You probably need a person to do that. Right. And you start just sort of my, my thing would just be like, once you have the venue, um, and maybe look at more than one venue and make sure that you can create this whole experience from from beginning to end um, all the way through to how the shows run, uh, how you close out, how you begin the show, how you close out the show to when they leave and and how they feel when they leave and how easy it is for them to get out of there. And what do they do next? Uh, that If you can really visualize and walk yourself through all that, uh, th- I think that was more than five things, Drew, but that would be <laughs> what I would focus on. That's great. Yeah, I think, yeah, I agree. Like any way you can try and make it for the best possible experience. For me, that's not doing a show more than 90 minutes. Um, That's, uh, you know, making sure you're picking a space. If it's a non-traditional space, the advantage we have with non-traditional spaces is we usually have complete control over how we're setting up the, the space. And what I found frustrating with shows that I ran before Don't Tell at like a brewery is you're battling against, I did a show during the world series, like game six and the Do- in LA with the Dodgers playing. I was like, well, there's no way this is going to go well. <laughs> like, there's just no chance. Against the Astros. Yes. Uh, I think if that's, the, that might have been- I forget which so I don't know if it was game six or not, but it was the one that went into like 17 innings or it was, it was like, Oh, this game's going to end. We'll be good. And then two hours later, uh, uh, sorry to interrupt, but I think I remember it was a slug fest. If, if I remember it right. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, a brutal experience. But what I found uh, most frustrating just in general with running shows, whether it was on a rooftop or a bar or something is having to battle distractions and so what we try to do when we're looking for spaces, which I would encourage anybody who's looking for to produce their first show is look for a space where there's limited distractions, where you can set up the seating in a way that makes sense. Um, and I will say this is something I picked up from, a, I think it was BJ Novak on like Tim Ferriss podcast. He was saying like, if you're, if you don't care about making money, which I didn't for a while producing shows, Uh, Do it for a cause, do a fundraiser and give the money to charity because people will be much more likely to come out. You can also have the nonprofit promote. So you're doing something good. You're raising money for a good cause, hopefully. And uh, then, you know, you're, you're maybe putting together a 30, 40, 50 person room and the comics will be stoked because at, at shows where you're raising money too, the crowds are usually great. Everybody's in good spirits. Um, also easier to get like people to donate alcohol or sponsorships or things like that. So Mm. the first show I ever ran was called just Justin show. It was a jester hat was the logo and it was a comedy for a cause. Every show picked a different organization and just did it in this little black box theater that was like 50 seater. And, uh, it was great. 
Well, Kyle, the first shows I ever ran were for charity called Ha Ha for Hope. Uh, first one was at a black box theater, the local local secret group. And then the second one was at the improv. And it was escalated that quickly, right? You know, at the Houston improv. And awesome. uh, yeah, I mean, logistically, there's a lot more going on. You do have to have, have a charity partner and you have to work with them, but that does expand your potential reach. And uh, and then, yeah, you know, kind of cut your teeth as a producer and, and gain some valuable experience for a good cause. It's kind of a win, 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 win all the way around. Yeah. Yeah. It's a recommendation. Yeah. And, um, and vol- like volunteering, too, is always great at other shows or. Yeah. You know, just to see how, how it's done. Yeah, that's that's for sure. Don't you know, so, so many comics are in such a rush because remember we talked about in the beginning, it was currency and you just want to get booked. You'll do anything. It really is. Remember this period? It's, you'll do anything to get booked. You're like, yeah, sure. I'll start a show and you do it terribly. Uh, and so that's not the mistake. I can well, if we can help you avoid that mistake. Like you said, go volunteer to be like an understudy or however you want to put it with somebody who's running successful shows. You might even get some stage time just for doing that. Yeah, um, do that for a while and find out how, what's working for them, how you do things differently, and, and then go venue searching. Yeah, well, and there's that there's that struggle, you know, because if you if you're stepping into a space like you said that it's already a club or already has a stage kind of set up in the way that they do things, and maybe the way they do things kind of sucks, um, yes. and you're having to walk into that, it, it it shoots yourself in the foot a little bit versus going into a completely virgin space where you can just do whatever you want. Yeah, that's so true. And we just experienced this last week. I was in Providence, Rhode Island, and we were doing a show at a music venue. Uh, it was a special like comedy show drinking game partnering with a friend of mine doing this cool show. And we get there and we only had, I think, 70 people coming. But the venue is built for like standing room concerts, huge stage. And if there's one thing that I feel like I know how to do, it's like set up a show in a way that you would be like, what are you doing? But it works better for some reason. And so we did the show on the below the stage, like on the floor, had a little riser, but there's a way more, way more of a connection with the audience. Anything above like a foot, in my opinion, I guess, depending on the size of the venue, we're mainly doing 50 to a hundred is just, way too much and there's a disconnect um and then even the lighting and the way that you're doing that there's all these little tricks like you want it to be as dark as possible if you have a lot of lights on people aren't going to want to laugh as much it's just one of the kind of comedy rules um so there's all these little things that you just figure out from doing it it's like doing an open mic the more shows you produce you figure it out you you fine-tune things and, and you figure out what what doesn't work and what does yeah, with the lighting, it kind of just goes into your general bucket of of limit distractions. Um, also, the the room temperature. Uh, what, what, yeah. Hold on, what, what we ask you? What, what's your what is your preferred temperature in a in a hundred person <laughs> room? <laughs> oh man, I I think like I think like seven seventy. I think so. Like you good. want it to be like a little colder than normal because it, yeah. it, people people heat it up. You know, right, uh, right. Start at 65, then when all the people get in there, it'll yeah. be up to 70. But, but this, but we laugh, but like, this is the things that like yeah. Kyle and I will think about, um, you know, we were in the same room every week. So we're always like trying to calibrate the the perfect experience. And, yeah. and really, you know, that's, that's a, like to Drew's point that is getting a little bit more advanced, but uh, it is. And the general overall thing is how do you improve the experience? How do you limit 
distractions. Um, you said 90 minutes too on the show length. We, we actually target 75. Our, our, nice. So our philosophy is leave them wanting more. Yep. And that, that's another thing that I think you, another trap that you can fall into with show running. That's also my dating strategy, you know, <laughs> <laughs> under 90, <laughs> leave them wanting more. The curiosity, you know, <laughs> But, uh, but no, so we do say, so our, yeah, our, is leave them wanting more. And, uh, and the, the, the trap you can fall into as a, as a new producer is you're trying to do this thing again, where you're trying to trade show spots. So you're always trying to add more people or you're trying to do favors for people out of town to develop those relationships. And I get all that. Um, we leave a little bit of a buffer for those types of scenarios just to help out a visiting comic come in. And, uh, but, but really we do. And we try to limit our headliners to 45 minutes, except for special occasions where they do an hour and then we cut our time up top. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's one of those things where it's a red flag. If I see there are more than seven comics on any show that we do, I'll, I'll check in be like, Hey, like I saw there, you know, just want to make sure everything like it's not, a, you know, not a huge deal, but Oh yeah. We had somebody come do a five minute spot. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Five to seven comics is, is like ideal. Um, people get exhausted. Yeah. I, my rule of thumb is always book one less comic than you think you need. Yeah, it seems counterintuitive, but we all have the time. Like if we needed to stretch, we could. And I, and I feel I've had shows that run 60. I've had a show that ran 60 minutes and everybody left happy. Like we got more Google reviews, five star Google reviews of that than we do with anything else. So yeah. and then even with corporate, because we do a lot of corporate. Um, I keep those at like I've done like 30, like 30 or less because they just want to mix and mingle and do their thing. So like I'll, I'll host it for eight minutes. I'll bring up a headliner for 2025 and that's it and charge them the full amount. That's so smart. And I feel like that really connects with the almost one of the themes, which is, yeah, things have been done a certain way for 40, 50 years. Doesn't mean you have to keep doing it that way. And there are things that people just assume is the way you're supposed to do things that maybe are hurting the experience or, you know, each show is, is unique in that way. Like you said, corporate versus normal show. Um, but it's cool to hear that you're thinking about things like that to just optimize for what everyone wants to have the best time. Let's try and make that happen. Again, back to experience. Yeah, because people will fight, you know, with people who are booking these things are like, well, we really want an hour of entertainment. And I'm like, just trust me on this. And if they really push yeah. back, uh, we'll, we'll work with them. But I'm like, this is yeah. the this is what we've calibrated in as the best experience for these types of events. Yeah. Uh, and so we're always trying to and we've even done one where we're like, all right, look, we'll do that 30 minute thing. And then we'll also do a comedy workshop so we can do like a team building mm -hmm. thing where we'll teach your people how to write comedy. And then some of them actually get up and perform. So we got some people excited about that format too. That's great. Yeah. So we talked about a lot of the good things. What about, what are the more, the red flag stuff, things to never do um, when you are producing a show, some of the, the things that might seem intuitive as good things, but actually might actually tank the experience of the show. Um, like the, the host doing 30 minutes, uh, <laughs> you're the person running the show, um, host lining. Yeah. 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 Uh, one thing, uh, that we definitely focus on is like creating a, creating a diverse lineup because a lot of like clubs and stuff you'll see, um, like on showcase shows, sometimes you see comics with like all white guys and it's like, well, the audience isn't all white guys. So like that means the audience probably isn't fully connecting to this lineup of people. Um, so that's an important part of like what we, again, it's, it's for optimizing for the experience to make it the best possible experience. And we believe, I believe that 
the best shows have different voices, different people, different backgrounds. Um, so you're not hearing the same kind of thing, different styles. It can be, you know, yeah, that, that stylistically. And then also that's another like producer thing is figuring out where to place people in a lineup is a, always an interesting, like uh, balancing act. Cause you want to, you know, high energy, low energy. You don't want to put this person after this person, this person needs to close because nobody's gonna be able to follow them. Uh, and you gotta be conscious of, of like, of that type of thing. Yeah, it's true. If someone is super high, there's, there's definitely some, a few comics like, you know, Caitlin Palufo in New York. Like, I don't know if anyone is going to love the opportunity to perform right after her because (laughs) she is such a strong, powerful, high energy, great comic. And, you know, you're going to have to use some of some skills to, to change the, the expectation of the room. You're going to be pretty seasoned or, have a good strategy. How are you going to, how are you going to follow that? Yeah. A hundred percent. One thing that I think is uh, pretty like basic, but most shows don't do this is just starting on time or trying to start like close to on time. It's a weird thing. in uh, I'd say entertainment in general, live shows where you go and you're just sitting there for an hour before, and it starts a half hour late. People, then people just don't show up. They show up late because they Mm -hmm. expect this. That's one thing that uh, we also like make sure our shows, we say arrive at 7.30, 7.50 at the latest, we'll start at 8. And the latest I think we'd ever start is, is like 8.10, but we're, we're usually 8, 8 to 8 5. That's a good call out. Yeah, we're, we usually start 15 minutes after and it's just the culture of live entertainment. And we're, we're starting to do shows now. We only have uh, two hours between show start times. And so I'm like, guys, we have to thread this in to... 10 no later than 10 after and so i think you're right it starts with communication up top you know the doors open at this time your recommended time to arrive is this uh and then here's you know the other thing regarding that uh make it easy for your guests to arrive and by that i mean things that we take for granted dress code uh you know it's your frequently asked questions uh what time do i arrive how do i park um all those things the more information you can give them up front the less calls you're going to take uh but also the more comfortable they will be with, with showing up to your show I think that's important. Um, I don't know if you guys, do you guys do this? This might be one that you don't do, but uh, we, this is more for the comic experience, which I, we, we call this one A and one B audience experience is is one A that's, that's top. And then one B short second is comics experience. We, we invested in a clock for the back of the room as early as possible. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, knowing as a comic, you're like, where the, where's the light going to come from? You know, the, just that, yeah. that anxiety of not knowing if you know what your, mm-hmm. your end of your time is. But also think about the, the the audience experience. Like it just feels so open micy to have somebody like flashing a light in the middle. It's just distra- limit distractions, right? And so yeah. that was one way for us, you know, quick, very early on, we spent 90 bucks to get a clock in the back of the room. Comics love it. And again, it's, it's, it doesn't de- distract from the audience experience. Yeah, we, we are amateur hour with the just holding up the light in the, in the back <laughs> with, with a phone. Uh, that's a really interesting call. Uh, yeah, because we're, we're in different venues every time. So it'd be like bringing something around, but probably wouldn't be too, too difficult. Or there's probably an app on a phone too, if you're to hold up the time, but yeah, you're right. As a comic, you want to be able to see, Oh, I got 10, I got two minutes left or three minutes left. As since we, since I perform obviously at the ride all the time, it's become a thing that I really appreciate. And when I go do other places yeah, and, and you're just like, I mean, I I know how, how long 10, 15 minutes is. I, I, it's not a shocker 
but it is all sometimes the way that they they wave the light like it everyone's attention kind of goes to the light guy yeah and i'm like in the middle of a joke yeah and i'm like your light just wrecked my the attention of of the what i'm leading up to my closer and uh, now i gotta fight that you know it's kind of interesting but <laughs> It's such a very specific thing that you're totally right. Like you need to be able to know when to do the light. There should be like a whole like you know documentary on, on giving the, the light guy. The light guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's, it, here's yeah, you need to do it like when you're not stepping on somebody's punchline in a moment where it's like okay, so you don't need to do it right at the second that it turns ten minutes. Right, right. But that's a good like, point. Yeah, wait till after they deliver whatever punchline they're working through. Yeah. That's a nice breathing point, and then they can know. Okay, I have a minute left, or whatever it is, and I can I can do the mental the mental math on the construction of the the finale of the set. Here's another important don't do, uh, and this one might be maybe a little controversial, maybe not. Um, if you're so, we have this tendency as comics and as the comic community to hang out in one portion of the room, or maybe even the green room at the beginning of the show up top when people are coming in. Uh, I, I'd argue strongly that you should be out there with the audience, uh, making relationships. This really is about developing relationships with your audience, especially if you're the show runner. Um, get to know their names. One thing we do at the door, I'll ha- I, I do I do the door a lot personally, just because I love to find like to interact with people, meet people. But um, now I have a, a consistent door person, which is probably way better. But I've trained her to say, look, when they when they check in. You have their name on their ticket. Say their name back to them. Such a powerful thing. And then introduce yourself and then start some sort of dialogue. And um, so I, I and, and honestly, if you're a comic and you're out working the room, your set will go better. It's called working the room. Uh, and and they'll have they'll already have formed a connection with you. It makes it easier for you to start your set and get laughs faster. Um, but as a showrunner, get out there and meet people, get their names, figure out ways to remember their names. I know it's difficult, um, but but developing relationships is really what it's all about. Or at least pretend like you know their name. It's yeah, like we do that a lot, too. Yeah. Hey, oh, yeah. Oh, that, good hey. to see you again, man. Hey, you. There you are. <laughs> there he is. Yeah. The, the other thing I just thought of when you were talking about, like, the green room is sometimes, like, uh, even, like, comics will be talking with, like, the showrunner in the back, and it you, like the audience can hear it. So just trying to like make sure also policing, like there's an art to even uh, if people are being rowdy or heckling, there's an art to telling them to shut up. Well, not just going up to them and telling them to shut up like, and, right. and then keeping people out if you need to. But that's, that's a whole other piece that sometimes we'll see producers that are rightfully just hanging with the comics and having a good time, but there's stuff going on that they're not seeing that's affecting the show. Uh, so being a little bit vigilant around making sure there's no issues. I've, I'll, I'll be in the point. green room. I'll be in the green room a lot. I'll always have one ear out into the room, and I yeah. in our green room's right next to the stage, so I can I'll always be like, "Wait, is there something going on out there?" And then run out to police and do my thing. But that is one of the things that is the hard to me the hardest part. Maybe I'm more like a people pleaser. Like you, I hate telling comics to shut up in the back. Yeah, but yeah. I, I, my patience. The younger the comic, the easier it is. <laughs> but my patience is just getting so thin. On I'm like, you guys are welcome to be up here for free. This is a free thing that you get and you're ruining the experience for my bar. And, and so, you know, if you, you, as a showrunner, it's your responsibility to keep comics, talk to a minimum audience, talk to a minimum. And it starts with setting the right expectation up top. So make sure it's in your announcements that, you know, we, what do we say, Drew, keep your table, talk to a whisper, no shouting and heckling out the comedians. That way you can hold them accountable throughout the show. Yeah, there's a I think there's a kind of a there's an art, like you said, to being 
there's there's different arts. So you can be a showrunner. That there's a certain skill set that goes with that. You can be a host, which kind of has some of the showrunner type yeah. skills, and you can be a comic. And I've seen some people in their comic uh, brain and in their comic role try to be one of the other places. And like you end up, if you're more of a, a raunchy kind of mean comic, you can run people off from your show by, by cursing and yelling at them and telling them to shut up in mean ways. Like you need, you want to have some diplomacy there because at the end of the day, hopefully as a showrunner, you're, you're once again, if your number one goal is for the audience to have a good time, you have to kind of handle those situations at least the first try a little more gingerly, you know, like we try to never kick people out of our show unless it's absolutely necessary. You know, most people, if you tap them on the shoulder and just say, Hey, we don't allow filming or Hey guys, just keep it down a little bit. Most people will respond to that most of the time. But if you come up to them and, and, (laughs) or someone from the stage is yelling, like, you know, it doesn't always handle it well. And that person might not ever come back to your show. And then this is how you're, I mean, you need audience members, you need good relationships with these audience members. Brian and I, I feel like we have a a list of people that are now kind of like between acquaintances and friends now because they come to our show so much. And we always sit down and, and chat with them for a second when we see them. And, and now they come to our shows regularly, I think, because they feel a connection to us and they enjoy what we've done. And those people will police the room for you. They'll be the first ones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, if you create that culture, yeah, that's what you really want. You want the rest of the audience to to shush down the people who are being weird. Yeah. So it's not even your, not even you don't have to do anything. Yeah. So let me go back to a, something I think that'll help out new producers. Um, let's t- let's walk through the beginning of like, okay, we ran one show every other week, and that felt like this huge task. And then we're like, all right, let's go to weekly. And then it's like, all right, we're already doing it weekly. Why don't we add two shows each night? And that's kind of how we scaled our room. And then from there, it's like, okay, maybe if we add another show each week, it actually starts to at one point get easier. And it's, that sounds strange, but it becomes easier to run more shows. But starting felt was really daunting and it's really hard. You got to book the lineups. You got to do all the ticketing and all that stuff. Um, how did you, how, how was that for you? How did you guys scale and grow in the, and what were some of the struggles you had? Yeah, I think uh, when you start out, like part of the difficulty is just not knowing what exactly to do or how to get people to come out to a show. So you like do things like hit everybody up on Facebook Messenger back in the day when people were still using that more so. And uh, and just like try and get people to go with these like very time consuming tactics that don't really work um, or more than like the first couple times. So. Once you, and I think this goes to like, if you're doing weekly show, you're kind of testing things out on like how to market stuff. Once we figured out Facebook and Instagram advertising, that was great. Cause it's like, all right, every Monday we're going to run the ad. So we have a system. It's like developing systems that help you to do things more efficiently is, is the only way to do more. Um, and so that was, yeah, one thing, even with building this website this past year, we've like automated our address reveal email, which used to be the email we send out to people who get tickets at noon, the day of the show used to be done manually for like three years, which was insane. And we, you know, 20, 30 shows a weekend. And then people would buy tickets after noon on the day of the show. And we'd have to send them individually. So it's just like this, when you hit a point with everything you do, we're like, this is not going to be, this is not going to be sustainable. This is crazy that we're doing this this way. And there's gotta be a better system. 
And uh, luckily, I found some some great people with like that expertise that have that have helped uh, to like really make things a well oiled machine. Um, and that's like if I interject real fast, that's an interesting point. When do you cut off sales? Because we we deal with this sometimes at the riot. You know, like mm-hmm. we, you can buy tickets up to just a few minutes before the show online. If someone comes in and buys them in person, it might not connect with the system. Someone upgrades to a table. What's your strategy on when you cut off online sales for your show? Yeah. I mean, it used to be all the way up until like a half hour before, and it still is now. We have one ticket type. So it's it's simpler than we all are doing because we just set up chairs and there's no VIP. There's no you know, limited number of these types of tickets. So gotcha. the system we have now, people will get the email like within seconds after they buy a ticket with the address and stuff. Um, and if they don't, there's like a self-help thing on our website. That's right. They have to, they don't even know where the show is with yeah, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, luckily I think that makes people buy stuff a little bit ahead of time, but we're still selling most tickets the last three days. Uh, mm-hmm. we, that's another thing. Don't panic if you're a producer. Yeah. Like, they could sell like the last, last 24 is, yeah. is like ha- over half. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about pricing for a second. So, you you know, you've got your one. Well, first of all, let me say this. Uh, this is of my opinion and you can certainly differ, but I, I we will never run a free show. Um, I, I think that that sets the right expectation for the audience. You know, they're, they're paying for a show. And, and if you're doing your job well enough, you should book comics that are worth that that, that amount. And also you've set up the experience and such that there's a value assigned to it. Now, I remember in the beginning, I was like 10 bucks. We felt, we felt like we were like, Oh, 10 bucks felt like a lot to, uh, you know, to ask somebody to do. Cause we, cause we weren't good at it yet. And we knew that, <laughs> but now we're very confident, like, you know, 10 bucks on the lower end. That's our, that's our Thursday, Sunday night shows. We're very confident about it. And we built just like you said, a system. And so, you know, we have general admission and then we have, we sell tables and then we sell VIP tables and it's actually really straightforward. So let's say our tickets are $10. It's $10 in addition for a table for the whole party up to six people, right? So let's say it's $10, six people, 60 people plus 10 for the table, 70. And then if you want to get VIP, it's just another 10 bucks on top of that. And VIP is closer and table service. Um, so that, that's, that's just, that's simply how it's done. And then we, that's a good amount of extra revenue for us to be able to sell tables, sell upgrades, and we actually sell them in the room when we don't sell out. And usually that, that ends up selling out our table space. Yeah. And the weirdest thing about VIP seats, and I've seen this <clears throat> in my career in radio doing concerts and stuff, always the VIP first. seats are always the first to sell out. It's so crazy. It's like the most expensive thing that you put out there always sells out almost like it's crazy. That's well, counterintuitive. Really interesting. Yeah, we just have what well, we used to have uh, two different ticket types, G8 like in VIP, and VIP was like a guaranteed seat. That was when like we would sometimes not have enough seats. Now mm-hmm. we like just make sure we have enough seats for everybody. Um, but yeah, pricing's interesting. Like the key is what we did free at first, but then the issue with that was like the third show we had like 200 RSVPs, and the place could only fit 50 people. Right. Um, so. Luckily, everybody flaked and we only had 50 people that came. <laughs> That's uh, the problem with free shows. Yeah. People never show up. Exactly. So they don't value for, it. For charging is like almost charging was helpful to just control capacity mm-hmm. and not create like a bad situation where you have twice the amount of people that you're supposed to have. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And also like paying comics is important like that. You have to pay comics if you're doing... Um, I guess free shows will sometimes do like a bucket, but like if you're running a show and you're charging for tickets, you have to pay comics. And that's something that's been important to us since 
the beginning and making sure like each scene, you know, in Boston or in Denver, there's people that are headliners that live there and are used to getting paid more than, so you, you know, you create, okay, this person's going to do 25 minutes, this person's going to do 15. And so the pay will differ for kind of length of time, but we're, that's what, whenever I'm setting up a new city, I'm always checking in, Hey, what are the other like best shows in town? What are they paying? Right. Uh, comics. Cause we want to make sure that we're a positive part of each local community and comedy ecosystem. And that comics feel like they're, they're respected not only with like pay, but also time, like telling them, you know, here's your spot time and, and all this stuff. So they can do multiple shows in a night. Yeah. We want to be on the, or you want to be as a runner on the, on the, at least the median or if not higher end of what they're getting paid for doing the similar spots in your city. Uh, and passing the bucket, dude. I mean, that's again, that kind of goes back to my fundamentals of like not having that's a that's an experience killer. Like it's an awkward moment. Uh, it disrupts the comedy. Uh, and look, they're going to you know, you're all what are you going to get? You're going to end up getting about the same amount of money at, from them than you would have just charged for tickets. Just charge for the tickets. Don't make you know, keep that weird yeah. pass the bucket thing out of the experience, in my opinion. And if you give them levels like we do, if, if, you, if the budget's a little tighter, man, right. just grab the GA ticket, enjoy your night. And if you got a little more to spend, then, Hey, come on up to the front. I'll massage your feet while I tell you jokes, whatever you need. <laughs> I won't do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Brian's like, no, uh, no yeah. I think, uh, all for the fundraising shows, I used to do a uh, suggested donation to right. so like right. people, want to throw in five. I don't even know if that worked the best, but it, it was a suggested donation of 20 bucks. And sometimes you get more, sometimes you get less. Uh, but yeah, having, having people pay makes it so that they're more invested in having a good time. Yeah. And like you said, you can pay the comics, but here's another important thing that we did very early on is that you get to reinvest back into the business. And yeah. so, you know, do this thing where you don't pay yourself for a year. I mean, I, I pay yeah. myself next to nothing in some ways I still don't. Uh, and, and just keep reinvesting. So you talk about advertising. Um, you talked about, you know, some of the things that y'all need, like lighting and staging, you yeah. may in, in the environment that you're in, you may already have that stuff we did. So what did we invest in? We invested in branding. We invested in table tents. We invested in like a little reserve table signs. We invested in a banner. Uh, pop-up banners, everything that just gets this brand out. And, uh, and I'll tell you, we got like, you know, we got branded merchandise and stuff. You know, once you get to that point, put that stuff out, you can break even on it. You can give it away for Instagram followers is one thing that we do, you know, whatever during shows. But, um, but just having that on the ticket booth helps us with walk up. If people are like, you know, I don't know if I want to come to a comedy show, a local comedy show, especially if they've been burned before by pop up <laughs> open mics or whatever else, yeah. the, the poorly run shows that they are out there. Um, when they see merchandise and they see branding and, and pop up banners and stuff, it, they're more likely to, to, to pay to come to a show. Uh, so just there's little ways to reinvest just within your room. And then, of course, like you said, with meta and advertising and joining associations, like I talked about earlier, keep reinvesting. Yeah. Agreed. Absolutely. Well, that's probably, I mean, I can go for days. Dude. I really <laughs> could. And Kyle, this is part two of our, we just talked last week or two weeks ago in LA. So yeah. I'll, I'll uh, ask one more before we get to the end though. I have one quick question because one thing that, I know some friends who are show producers, obviously we're here in Houston and you do it all over. What yeah. do you think, what has been the best, um, 
I guess, platform to get people to buy tickets for you? Has it been Facebook and Instagram? I know that we find here in Houston, because of our links to all the different websites, you know, Visit Houston and all that kind of stuff, Google has been one of our best friends as far as people finding our show here. And social media, we haven't found that that's been a massive um, powerhouse for us just yet. What, what's your experience been? Yeah, it makes sense that Google is better for you, in my opinion, because it's a set location. Right. Um, we haven't put too much uh, focus into Google, but yeah, Facebook and Instagram, email list, um, like if we're starting in a new city, reaching out to a bunch of local publications, trying to get some write-ups, get featured on like things to do in a specific city. That's mm-hmm. always something worth worth trying to do. Uh, but yeah, fa- Facebook and Instagram is, is the most. Now we're like trying to shift to, we don't want to be reliant on a specific thing because if it goes away, then you're screwed. Um, right. Or they so change like, the rules on you one day. And yeah. yeah. I mean, they change the algorithms and stuff all the time and the advertising platforms change. Uh, you know, now people are getting less data than they used to um, because of like Facebook and Apple. I don't, I don't even fully understand that, but it was better. It used to be better. Um, yeah. So like we've invested into, into creating like really cool, these digital standup specials on YouTube. And our, our hope there is we're able to build more awareness around like what we're doing mm-hmm. and that will help kind of push people to, Oh, there's a show going on in my city. I'll, I'll check it out. Um, and then it'll hopefully allow us to expand it into new cities too. Cause we'll, yeah. we'll have that kind of like brand recall, I guess is what you may call it. It's like, yeah, Oh, you guys clips. You guys set the bar really high. Those look those look better than some people's, uh, you know, real specials that I've seen. Uh, you really set uh, decorate them really well. They're they're obviously well shot, well produced, great pieces. Thanks. Yeah, we're like that's everything that we do. Everything that I want to do is like, what do I think isn't working the best in the comedy world, and how can we make it better? And so with like stand up content, there's a lot of. Uh, stuff that I've seen even from networks where it's like, oh, you really didn't mic the audience very well. Or, wow, they did a show on a Tuesday night at 10 p.m. and papered the room and it was like super low energy. So mm-hmm. our focus is on like, how can we create the best possible experience at the live show that will translate to online uh, with hot crowds that are excited to be there with comics that we know are going to do well Um and then working with a really good production team, the guys we work with who are friends of mine that I've met along the way are just so insanely talented that uh, it's fun. It's, it's fun. Like we're shooting for, we want to hit Netflix level quality with the stuff we're putting out. And every time we're like, what could we have done better? What could we try this next time? Keep experimenting uh, and get feedback. We're getting feedback from all the comics. Every time we do one of these opportunity for them to say, what didn't you like about this experience? Everything from the live show to the edit, to the communication throughout what comics would you recommend for a future one, that type of thing. So just being open to feedback is good across the board. Yeah. That content I think is, I mean, one, I do photo and video. And so I believe in that, but I think that one thing that was at least interesting to us for the riot is, you know, I bring my camera and I take, I try to take the best photos I can and edit them well so that every single show of the riot has as close to professional quality shots. And so if you scroll through our Instagram, yeah. you're not going to see a bunch of grainy cell phone footage. Yeah. 
uh, it's going to make us look like we're legit where, and I think that's a, it doesn't talk cost that much to hire a photographer to come spend a couple hours and, and take some great photos. I think that benefit, I don't know, my girlfriend, every time we go to a restaurant, she goes to their Instagram first and scrolls through. And if the place looks legit, then it's, yeah. it's a, it's a gold star. It's like, okay. This is, this is a place that's okay. I think that's how a lot of people operate. They're going to check you out. And if you have high quality content that looks good, that makes them feel a lot safer about trying out your spot. Well said. Yeah. Agreed. That goes, yeah, we were, it goes back to reinvesting before Drew was on a, as a producer at the riot, I was paying him reinvesting to have him come out and take photos. And then of course, film everything. And that's something a new producer can learn, not just film it, but you know, to do what Drew does or, or pay somebody to do this, make sure you get the sound and the mics in the right spots and continue to optimize that. Cause one day you can get to where you guys are with don't tell like Drew said, that's just incredible quality and, and, uh, and, and way to grow the the YouTube platform. You guys have hundred over 130 something thousand followers or something. That's incredible. Uh, so great work there. Some, uh, that's some, that's some revenue right there. Yeah. And that's more revenue for the business. Right. So, uh, that's really good. Hey, one more thing I want to go back to, you talked about Google. Um, one other tip for, for showrunners, if you are going to have a location based, you know, you're not going to ch- deviate to location. What I highly recommend talk to the business owner and see if you can get a Google business at their business. So use the same address. And what we do in our, in our room is we hustle Google reviews. Um, and so we just got, uh, 600 Google reviews, five star rating in, on Google across 600 reviews. That's powerful. Um, not just to be able to say that, but also in marketing and in, in SEO, uh, search engine optimization for us to be found. Like you said, Google has been a, a big strategy for us and for location based, um, which most comedy shows will be. Uh, make sure you do that. Take that step to become a, a location through Google business. Yeah. Uh, all right. That's gotta be it, man. We, I could do a part two. We could definitely do part two. Um, yeah. so much fun. Cause we kind of left like at the most exciting part, which is sort of where you're going. In fact, maybe just one extra minute on what y'all are doing with video and where that's going to go for y'all and what the yeah. future is. Yeah. I mean, our goal is like, I want to build the most trusted brand in comedy by both performers and audiences. And so that's creating more opportunities for live shows, expanding cities, creating more weekends, uh, in cities. Um, the more, yeah, the more shows, the more we can pay comics, the better. And that, you know, is also our kind of mentality with the digital stuff is build this platform, almost like a tastemaker sort of digital platform where people go cause they're excited to find out about somebody that they, that will be big in five years. And they're the first to watch their, their like first kind of well-produced set on, on YouTube. Um, so yeah, everything just leads back to how can we create this this community of people that love comedy, comedians that love performing on our shows, and how can we create a vehicle to help comics grow their careers independently outside of the traditional systems? Um, and we've seen awesome growth from like a comic out here, Mark Smalls. I think he went from like six thousand to like thirty thousand on on Instagram in a few months. Um, and a bunch of his clips just went viral and he's at other stuff. He's doing other stuff too. It's not just from our, our clips, but those are like the early success stories. People getting booked on comedy central stand-up series directly from the sets we've put out. That's happened a couple times um, already, which is cool. So yeah, I mean, we, we just want to build something really cool and, and special and uh, provide value in the comedy world in, in as many ways we can. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm friends with Mark and got to shoot some photos of him and the country club adjacent guys in the past. Nice. And uh, he's a he's a who we hope to get him in Houston soon. Um, but, yeah, I saw his performance uh, on Don't Tell. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, when you when I saw the comics that have also been in Houston, it was nice to see some crossover there. That's, uh, that's, that's awesome to hear that that the digital side of your of your um, shows is becoming a whole new revenue stream and a like your mission statement kind of says, you know, giving giving opportunities to comics. You're doing yeah. that on stage and off stage. Yeah. I mean, YouTube, there's really not that like you have to be doing crazy numbers to make any sort of money for us. It's like we don't start monetizing the videos until like they hit a certain threshold because we just want people to see them. And for us, it's not even like a thing. We're not trying to create a content business. Uh, we're trying to like use these new ways of like marketing our shows to drive more traction there. Um, and so we've launched our record label too. So now we're doing uh, comedy albums, mainly from our, our tapings. Uh, again, right. a way to make comics money, a way to get the brand out there. And you have a stable of comics in a sense that you commonly work with. So let's say Mark, for example, is one of your guys, you know, his success is your success in a sense as he grows and does better when now when he performs on your shows, he's a little more well known. It's a bigger deal. And you have that ongoing relationship that that helps each other. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's what, yeah, one of my mantras. If everybody gets better, it's better for everybody. That's one of the things I like to say with comedy. Um, it's rings true yeah. all right let's let's go ahead this is our last segment we got you to agree to it everybody does it so uh let's do it it's called last laugh all right man so uh here's the deal it's a tombstone and you got to write uh a, what's going to be on your tombstone it's your last laugh a joke can be yours from when you used to perform or one of your heroes what's your tombstone gonna say well, it will certainly not be one of my jokes. <laughs> uh, the one that comes to mind is I was watching a bunch. I was watching this a bunch this past weekend is Ronnie Dangerfield's joke, oh, wow. uh -huh. where he's like, uh, like one of my psychiatrists. He uh, said that I was crazy. I said I want a second opinion. He's like, all right, you're ugly too. <laughs> that joke is like a perfect, perfect joke, and I like. Oh, I think of it every like few weeks. <laughs> I mean, Rodney Dangerfield. Totally, I totally butchered that, but that was no. Look it up. <laughs> great, great choice. Great joke. Uh, all of his his whole story is so interesting too. So it's like a lot, uh, a lot yeah, going his, on there. His late night sets were so funny because he'd do his like five minutes and then he'd go to the couch with like Johnny Carson, and Johnny Carson was basically just like teeing up more jokes. So right. we'd do another five minutes on the couch <laughs> of material. <laughs> So crazy. Well, Kyle, thanks so much for hanging out with us um, and, and kind of spilling the beans. You told you told us about your comedy. Don't tell comedy. Um, 40 plus almost 50 cities now. So wherever you're listening to this from, check out don't tell See if they're producing shows in your area. Go out, support these guys and, and check them out on, on YouTube. Anything else or anywhere else they can go to get more information about don't tell. Yeah, website, and then I would highly recommend checking out the the YouTube channel. That's don't, awesome, man! Don't just check it out. Hit smash that subscribe smash button. Smash don't forget. <laughs> uh, well, Kyle, so much fun, man. Uh, we'll have to do it again soon. And uh, uh, thanks again. Thanks everybody for listening. We'll see y'all later. Yeah, thank you guys. Thanks, Kyle. Thank 
Thanks for listening to Breaking Down Bits. You can keep in touch or get more when you follow at Breaking Down Bits on social media. Visit the website BreakingDownBits.com or shoot us an email at BreakingDownBits at gmail.com.